Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Glani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by an old friend of mine, Dr. Bradley Youngren, who's the Chief Medical Officer of 98.6, an AI-powered text-based mobile platform where U.S. board-certified physicians can provide primary care. Dr. Youngren brings nearly 20 years of experience working as a physician and still practices as an emergency medicine doc at Evergreen Health, where he also serves as a medical director of emergency preparedness, trauma, and urgent care. He has also earned both the Bronze Star and the Combat Medic Badge for his service in Iraq as a U.S. Army physician. And I met Brad back in 2013 at TedMed, where we both were participating in something called the Smartphone Physical back when he was working at Mobisante, which is a smartphone-based ultrasound device. So Brad, good to see you again. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate you having me. It's nice to catch up. So for our audience, one of the first things we like to begin with is just how did you get involved in healthcare? What made you decide to become an emergency doc and also to enlist in the army? Yeah, I went to the military medical school and I was very interested in disaster and humanitarian medicine. So that was the primary reason I had gone into emergency medicine and did spend a fair amount of time in my military years supporting that area of work. Um, but what happened obviously post 9-11 was we found a lot of us were downrange supporting soldier care in Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. And I got involved in procuring technology on the battlefield and really saw early on how that scaled to save lives. It sort of ended up being a really pinnacle change for my career where I really started to focus on medical device and digital healthcare technologies and how those can save lives at a larger scale. That led me to my first chief medical officer job at Mobisante back in 2013 when we met and then spent some time with a global health company before moving to Q Health, which is doing at-home lab testing and diagnostics, and then came to 98.6 at the end of 2016. Now, we'll definitely get into 98.6 and all the amazing drastic changes that have happened over just the past few months, let alone the few years. But before we go into that, I'd love to hear more about your experience in Iraq. I think you're the first physician who served we've had on the RaiseLine podcast. So I'm sure it prepared you to do a lot around digital health. So can you talk a bit more about what you remember from that experience and how it's contributed to your work today? Yeah, I think, you know, it's the best clinical experience of my career and the hardest work and emotionally challenging to take care of people you know. It's very different than being a physician and clinical practice where you don't really know your patients to the same degree, especially in emergency medicine, my field, as opposed to taking care of 250, 500 soldiers who you know them, their families, and deeply intimate with their lives. Um, so that's a very different experience and, and quite an honor. Best job of my career, I'd say. From the technology side, it was really an interesting time because the Sonosite 180 had just been deployed and come on the market. So we were figuring out how to, to move those across the battlefield to make decisions around triaging and medevacing patients. And we had a lot of mass casualty events with penetrating trauma from IEDs. So these kinds of technologies were really useful and they were really brand new. The portable machine had literally just come out. So we were exploring how do we move those around to save lives, push them forward in the battlefield. How does that impact medevac and patient evacuations? And then we started actually looking at, I think we called it back then VoIP technology, how we could really do virtual telemedicine from the battlefield to get guidance or assistance around imaging or really the very really the roots of telemedicine for the army back then during the, the early parts of the war. That's pretty incredible. I mean, so some of the stuff that you saw in Iraq, both with regards to telemedicine and disaster preparedness, have probably come full circle uh, in the past just few months here. So I'd love to hear more about what you've seen at Evergreen Health. You're in Washington, which was really the first state to get hit very hard and has done a pretty good job, it seems, of managing the pandemic. Can you talk a bit about what you've seen over the past few months and how your practices have been affected? 
Yeah, I've been at Evergreen Health since I got out of the Army, and just because of my previous work, uh, took over as preparedness director from the moment I got there, and additionally sit on the county disaster medical advisory committee, and then there's a state committee called the DMAC that supports the Department of Health of the state of Washington, about 20 physicians, and I sit on that advisory council that advises the DOA. The hospital, fortunately, was invested in a preparedness program that allowed us to pre-position PPE and so forth. Literally, um, all of a sudden, we were putting in 20 hours a day trying to contact trace the original cases from life care. And overnight, we had a number of positive cases, as you know, and really, I'd say late February, March, and April were kind of a blur of just uh, both on the local level, as far as working at Evergreen and trying to get that system under control, which the hospital did a phenomenal job and working with the state to develop a disaster response plan and pandemic response plan to deal with all the cases we had in the state of Washington at the time. And then also at the same time, there was quite a bit of work going on in 90.6. We saw a massive surge in volume as virtual care took a center stage for many forms and 90.6 was no different. So it was really kind of on all fronts, uh, the pandemic response was quite impactful. Yeah, I think around the time I emailed you about it, first appearing on this uh, podcast and you said, I'd love to, but I'm a little busy right now. So I fully understand <laughs> uh, what you were going through with that. So appreciate all the work that you've done. And now turning to 98.6, you know, it's been a, a whirlwind few months. And we just, one of our recent guests on the podcast was Joe Kvidar, who runs the American Telemedicine Association. Can you tell us a bit more about both the fundraising 98.6 did recently, as well as any statistics you can provide us in terms of the surge in demand that you were just talking about? Yeah, we finished a Series D round back in March of 2020, so that's been great. There's certainly a lot of interest in the space, and from the perspective of the surge, we started building a surge capacity planning program back in December of 2019 because I was looking at what was going on in China and trying to understand how that could potentially impact the work we're doing. One of the things that's unique to 98.6 is we employ our physicians, their full-time employees at 90.6. That's been our approach from the beginning. It's a very physician-focused medical group practice. And the benefit of that is we knew exactly what our search capacity was. If all hands on deck, and we took away administrative time and everyone leaned into patient care, what, what kind of uh, productivity and support could we get for the practice? As opposed to when I was sitting in meetings with the federal government and other telemedicine companies were saying, well, I have 2,000 people. And I knew that those people were being cross-counted through all those organizations because they're locum tenens physicians working for five to 10 telemedicine companies at the same time. So it was just a fundamentally different, unique approach. So we had a surge capacity built plan built in. And, and then when the CDC came out with guidance in January around travel, we actually imported that into our AI algorithm and had picked up a few cases in January that we reported to the CDC. Um, so that was really interesting for us to start to take in outside input from organizations like the CDC and really build it into our neural network. So after obviously things hit in the end of February, we had massive surges in the clinic, three, 400% volume surges 40 to 50% of cases on an average day were COVID or COVID related. And we found ourselves um, doing a lot of work that really I don't think anyone solved for before. So we, we ordered quite a bit of labs. We've been doing that since 2017. We're one of the largest lab ordering virtual care companies in the country now, primarily because we believe that's a component of virtualizing primary care has to include lab ordering for standard labs. But we had to really apply that knowledge to the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, which is how do we get people PCR testing at the time. And as you know, from those early days, it was very fragmented. There's not a nationalized system to plug into. So for a company that's operating at a national scale, 24-7, 365, and all 51 jurisdictions, we really had to get down into the weeds and understand what were the opportunities for PCR testing and referrals. 
in those different markets. So um, spent a lot of time on that sort of care coordination lab piece to get people what they needed uh, from that perspective and then provide them appropriate follow-up and, and guidance. Yeah, I mean, actually, another one of our guests was uh, Julia Cheek from Everlywell. She talked about some of the same issues. What type of infrastructure did you have to build to solve for that issue of mass testing? We actually ended up helping facilitate some of the work that happened in the state of Washington around the lab hub testing with Quest. They came out and they facilitated some of that work. And so it was a bunch of Seattle companies working on that back in March. Lab testing is interesting. It's, it's not always just about getting a test. It's about getting good, high quality tests. So we spent a lot of time deciding who we thought were the appropriate partners, what kind of testing we thought was validated in the market. As you know, when the EUAs started rolling in around lab testing, the question was digging into the data to understand if we're going to recommend a test to our patients, we want to have confidence on the sensitivity, specificity, negative predictive value of that testing. So we really uh, focused early on working with partners like University of Washington's Fred Hutch Virology Lab, Quest has been a, we've been a great partner with Quest for some time, worked with LabCorp as well to uh, create opportunities for lab testing when we could. And then as other partners came in the regional markets, we would add sort of add them to our technical platform. The good thing about having essentially an AI-based technical platform that's homegrown and built by yourself is you really understand the, the engineering behind it, right? And so you can add in features around lab testing, not only from the patient side, but the physician-facing side. Remember, our doctors are taking care of patients, 51 states, patients are raising their hands saying, I need a lab test. You know, it's very different to do it in your local market as opposed to some other state where you actually don't even understand the regional variability that exists in testing opportunities. So we had to build that into the product to facilitate those kinds of testing parameters for the doctors. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And again, I've heard two pretty unique things about 98.6's model. One is you employ your physicians. And the second is that you have this AI-powered triage system. Can you talk a bit more about those two and then any other differentiators? Because this is obviously a time that many people are focused on telemedicine. You know, Livongo and Teladoc are merging, Amwell's going public, MD Live just raised some money. We'd love to hear more about what makes 98.6 different. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate the question. I think I'll start with the medical group, which is one of the verticals that falls under me. And when I came to 98.6 towards the end of 2016, and we were going to start our seeing patients in February 2017 in the state of Washington, Robbie Cape, the CEO, said, just spend three months building the clinic of your dreams. Like, go spend some time on this. And the expectation was that it would fulfill all the shortcomings of current brick and mortar practice, right? And so being a physician, I was really sensitive to the notion of what do we need to do to be different? And from my perspective, the largest thing I saw in the market was how do you understand what the quality of care is being delivered when you have a large number of locum tenens physicians operating on your platform? And by the way, the platform isn't recording anything, so you have no data. And so I knew that we were going to have the data, and I thought that was really going to be unique, that we could pull data out of the system to understand how quality of care is being impacted by virtual visits. Uh, but I thought the starting foundation point was to employ physicians. Our original core physicians operated on what we called at the time the 80-20 rule. So they'd all have time to attend meetings. They all had non-clinical time to work on product development. They all had non-clinical time to do peer-to-peer -peer chart review because we knew that was going to be critical. We wanted to make sure we carved out that time for them and protected it. So all the physicians have equity in the company. Not only are they in the boat, they're rowing the boat. And that's the thing that makes us unique in the market. I think physicians love coming to work for us is because we all know as physicians what the problems are in healthcare. We've seen it, we live it, we feel it every day. Whether it's problems in the system, whether it's problems in the technology we're forced to use, which has negative impact on burnout. But the key feature is creating a physician workforce that's allowed to impact change. 
So our physicians daily are providing feedback to the product development teams about features that they would like to see or that aren't working correctly. And they get feedback the same day from those product managers. That's not what happens in hospitals. It's just a fundamentally different approach that we have in terms of how we've approached hiring doctors to the point where when we look at net promoter score, which obviously many companies use to look at how patients in our case are viewing their experience, we weigh the physician experience. We have a metric for that. We check it just as vigorously as we do on the patient side, because we know that's where the magic happens, that the physicians are happy and excited. I mean, they went into medicine for a reason. They want to help people. They want to help as many people as possible. We just need to give them the opportunity to do so. So that's the fundamental approach of our medical group, which I think is unique and exciting and gets people really motivated to come on board full-time with us. And then as far as the AI neural network, I think the thing that drew me to the company, what I realized is we were going to make the investment in building a platform that leveraged AI in the delivery of care. And that's fundamentally unique in the market. We're not an AI symptom checker that creates a spit out the list of 10 possible diagnoses. The doctors have to go back and start from the beginning because it's investing in technology that allows the doctors to operate at the top of their license. The doctors see 100% of our cases and the AI that people see on the website is the chat bot that, that helps gather findings from patients. But there's a bunch of other technology in the back end that's actually assisting the physicians to provide not only efficient, but the highest of quality care. And the physicians get to operate within that AI-based system, which is very exciting for them. That's pretty remarkable, the enthusiasm you have for the model that you've built. So how many physicians do you employ? And given that our audience is really millions of current or future clinicians, what would kind of be your pitch to them to come work at 98.6? So we have about 55 full-time doctors right now. We're continuing to hire in the pipeline. And I think that the notion is, for the better or worse, we treat our physicians no different than they would a software engineer. I tell those to the doctors up front. And for me as a CMO, I love that. Sometimes doctors kind of are used to being treated a bit differently. Our hiring process is the same. If you want to get hired at 90.6, it's no different if you're a physician or you're a software engineer or a data scientist or a marketing manager. And I love that. And that's something that we borrow from the technology space because we're a lot of ways we're a technology company at our core. And the fact that all the physicians have an opportunity to be a part of something and actually help build it and that we are dedicated to giving them time to not only provide high quality patient care, but to impact a variety of domains, allows us to kind of put people in their sweet spot. We have one physician who works on a Facebook group for mothers and we just let her go. We gave her some training around interview techniques and she's just loves the company. And she's brought in probably 15 to 20 doctors because she's out there talking about what her life is like as a 90.6 physician. So it's finding the sweet spots, getting people motivated. Some people wanna work on quality. Some people wanna work on product development. And we just uh, try and drop people into the area of work that, that motivates them. Again, because they're, they're employees of the company, they have equity, we expect them. And as I tell our doctors, this will be your last job. If we do this right, this will all be our last job, and not in the short term, but in the long term. I mean, our North Star as a company is that we believe that everyone in the world should have access to primary care and no one should have to make a financial trade-off to get that primary care. So, and that's a long, long pole mission, of course, on a global scale. So we, we think that I believe we are in that right direction, which is we can do that and provide that kind of care across the country and across the world. That's pretty remarkable. And, you know, we just had Cyril Phillip, who's at uh, Providence Ventures up in your neck of the woods in Washington on, and obviously Providence is a, is a huge health system. And one of the points he made is that as Twitter and Facebook and all these other companies are going full work from home, and as more physicians and other care staff are doing virtual care, you know, and they're working from home, Scope of practice is really interesting, and we've obviously seen a lot of regional consolidation of health systems and hospitals buying up practices, 
But with companies like 98.6, which, you know, you're headquartered, I believe, in Washington, but you're already in 51 states, what are some of the mind shift changes you have to do to get those physicians? And how do you train them to get used to this virtual care telemedicine type model? One of the verticals that sits under me is the training team, which is interesting and it's grown. They create the training modules for the new oncoming physicians. And then what's interesting is as we grow and grow, the iterations on the product go faster and faster. So every week there's new product training for all the doctors because that's how fast things move. And so there's issues around quality, right? So you have to have a really robust training program. So we do have a bunch of work on the front end to make sure we find the right fit for physicians who want to come work for us, but that is quite varied. But it's a lot about core values. Do your core values match up with our 20 core values? Do you believe in critical informed thinking? Do you believe in innovation? Do you believe that every human on this earth should have access to primary care medicine? Are you willing to put in the time to make that happen? We've used that approach and it's been really great so far. We've had no shortage of physicians. You know, the virtual thing has been great. That's how we, what we've always been. But I think a lot of physicians have opened their eyes through this, some of the virtual work they've done with their health systems and realized it's kind of nice to have some flexibility. Our doctors live and work in all 51 states we don't have doctors in all 51 states, but you know we have them in all the time zones and we have a big cadre in Hawaii as an example. And uh, what we've been able to do is create a 24 seven schedule with our physicians don't work nights because we can have a clock that follows from West back to East and allow a system where from a physician wellness perspective, being an ER doc, we know what the impact of long-term night shift work is for physicians. And so we actually can find a way not to do that. So we've created a system that allows all physicians to live a relatively normal life and create flexibilities in their work schedule. That's incredible. I mean, that's definitely obviously before COVID burnout was a huge issue, especially in emergency medicine, which you're familiar with. Are there statistics showing that people who provide virtual care or going to telemedicine are less likely to burn out or they have longer practice durations? I don't think we've seen any studies on that yet. You know, we're, we're targeting things we do know, which is night shifts are bad. Physicians being on the outside looking in has been bad and you know, I think that this, this notion around this physician wellness, which is something we take seriously, we learn a lot from those surveys and those metrics that we cover, getting to the level of understanding the biometrics of physicians that work for us. That's where our physicians have been proposing additional work in that kind of space. It'll help us inform how to create a high quality environment for them to work in. That's awesome. Switching gears real quick to go from the provider side to the patient side. You know, if I'm a patient of 98.6, how do you view both education as well as getting the patients themselves technology, whether it's watches or ultrasound even, how do you view both education as well as devices to collect more accurate patient-generated health data at 98.6 like now, and where do you see it in a couple of years? Yeah, I think, so we we refer to the care plan as the patient education at 98.6. And if you look on our app, what we've done is, well, so the first thing we did many years ago was do an open note policy, which isn't that unique or interesting. Most hospitals have done that. I asked the doctors to consider an open transcript policy, thought that would take a number of months to accomplish. The doctors did it in 48 hours. And the response was, that's why we're here, to be innovative and different. Because we all thought that providing the chat transcript between a doctor and a patient in the app that you can go back to as the patient would be one of the most valuable things you could do for someone. No one had done that. So we've been doing that for a while now. So for every visit, you can go in and look and review your chat transcript at the very least. We have a care team, product engineering team with the physicians to work with to, to ideate around this. I think this is a, an opportunity for massive amounts of growth. As you know, I always say the starting point was in the ER, we hand out 10 to 20 pages of printed work that all the studies have shown that patients never read. Like that's the engagement we're starting from. And we want to move to a place where the patients are engaging in the app, that they find it educational and valuable, that the follow-up plans are in an engaging way that they can get to. 
and they're actually coming back on the app, not just to engage in patient care or to talk to a physician, but to go back and look through those care plans. So Rob Schweitzer is our chief product officer. He ran Amazon Prime for many years. So one of the things you get from having a chief product officer like that is understanding deeply consumer, in this case, patient behavior, right? And, and being able to iterate to provide a high quality in-app mobile experience that really helps patients be engaged and move them from sickness care to wellness care, ultimately, which is our goal. That's incredible. Well, I know we're running up on time, but I had two last questions, if you don't mind. The, sure. the first is, what do you think some of the lasting changes coming out of COVID-19 will be for the healthcare system? Yeah, I think that the health systems have definitely had to stand up in short order across, you know, many, many stories about standing up virtual care overnight, you know, within weeks, moving their whole book of business on virtualized care. We've seen some move back across that. I think that's primarily probably driven by the business model. Patients are being driven away from virtual care, but the, I think everyone can comfortably sit with the statement that virtual care is here to stay. But a lot of what I see in the space is, you know, I think it's a good first step for access for video visits for everyone across the country. 100%. That's a great place to go and start. You know, we're doing something different, which is when you're, to your previous question, when you can layer a bunch of connected data, and how does that impact the physician and patient experience, right? One of the things I hear from my cardiology friends around some of the EKG stuff on the market is it's very challenging for them because they get sent all this data from their patients. One, they don't get reimbursed for it. Two, it's hard to sift through it. It's not curated in a way that physician can consume the data fast, provide actionable data. It impacts patient care, which is what we want to do as physicians. So I think the ultimate magic around there is being if you consume all those connected data and then output in a way that creates actionable information for the physician, that's where the magic will happen. I think that's where we're headed. I don't know if it's going to happen on the health system side. My hunch is it'll happen more on the direct consumer side, out of system side. Uh, non-traditional setting sides where you'll see more innovation from tech-oriented companies who are coming in and trying to solve problems that have existed in the traditional healthcare system for quite some time. Yeah. And as you were just saying, you know, having a chief product officer who came from one of the most successful tech companies in terms of putting customers first with regards to managing Amazon Prime, that sort of thinking where we put patients first or the consumers first is very, very interesting and could be compelling and hopefully mark a phase shift. The last question is, you're a physician, you've done a lot of innovative things and maintained your practice. What advice do you have for current students who are considering careers or already on their journeys to careers in healthcare? Yeah, I think that it's so easy now to, to look back because I graduated med school in 1999. And I struggled to figure out what residency to do. In the end, I made a decision which was right for me at the time, which wasn't about tech, but it was about this motivation around disaster humanitarian medicine because that was what was in my heart. I think that finding what's in your heart and going after that You'll be a better doctor for it and finding mentors in that space that can guide you that you look ahead 20 years and you find those people whether it's technology and healthcare whether it's traditional healthcare modalities doesn't matter finding uh, role models and mentors is critical i find them now when i got into digital healthcare i found people that i started meeting with dr bill Krauts, who was the cmo of microsoft at the time because i just wanted to talk to people who had been in positions in technology and those kinds of relationships are incredibly valuable to me even today so from a medical student perspective, that's critical. You never know which ways the financial world will turn. Don't select bodies of work based on financial remuneration. You want to get up every morning and be excited about the work you do. That's how medicine is a long-lasting career. 
Totally, right? Well, I mean, again, you've been sort of a role model and uh, inspiration, I think, to me as well, ever since I met you at TedMed and in general. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, given how much you're doing both for 98.6 and Evergreen Health. And I invite all of our learners to check out the work that you're doing. So with that, I would like to thank you again for your time. I'm Shivri Gulani, and thank the audience for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.